0: Thank you everyone for joining me as I welcome Francisco Silguero. He is the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Communications Commission. He's a head MMA coach for a local martial arts school, which I think is awesome. And he's someone I've known since we were both at USDA Food Safety Inspection Service 12 years ago. So thank you for joining me here today, Francisco.
1: Thank you, Jeremy, happy to be here.
0: So for those who don't know you like I do, tell us a bit about who you are, where you come from and what you do.
1: Sure, absolutely. So Francisco Salguero again, um, so, last name is Salguero, we can do Spanish pronunciation. Um, so, obviously, I'm of Latin descent, parents are from Central America, El Salvador, and Honduras. Uh, basically, born and raised in the D.C. area. So, born in D.C., raised in Springfield, Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia. I uh, actually went to Thomas Edison High School, and uh, really grew up in this area. I also lived in Houston, Texas for a little bit during my tenure with uh, El Paso Energy. Um, you know, as a chief information officer for the FCC, really responsible for the all aspects of IT strategically and technically to move us forward.
0: Interesting. So what, how did you get into IT, right? I mean, you're you're born and raised DC. That's great. What made you think uh, IT was the career you're going to choose?
1: It's It's an interesting story. So I have to say when I was going to college, I actually took my first computer class and I hated it. It was not a class, nor course that I enjoyed at all. Um, so, I was actually a psychology major, and, uh, you know, that's I was going to George Mason University, and same time, funds were getting low, so I had to give a job. Uh, so, I got a full-time job as a customer service rep at Telco Communications. Um, so, I would go to school during the day, in the evenings. I start my shift there as a call center, uh, entry calls, and because I was a uh, fluent Spanish speaker. I got an extra 50 cents an hour. Um, and so really, that's, that was kind of my initiation to the working world uh, as well going to school at the same time. And I kind of fell into IT. Uh, we had an opportunity because it was a startup organization. Uh, so there was a lot of opportunities for us to help out in various ways. And so as I recall, um, you know, Henry Lucan was one of the calendars. And uh, he was obviously a very smart, uh, Adept uh, computer guy, with guy, under shoe telecom, and uh, as he would need special projects and, and would just show us how different things work. And I recall uh, Novell network, and he would show us how to uh, just route things and, and actually run it through the system. Um, and I got into, uh, you know, got into project working on building systems and uh, actually got a full-time job. And the opportunity, when that came up, I was actually still going to school. I was actually in my junior year of college, and then it was at that time during the telecom and dot-com, during the whole big boom in the early, mid-90s. And when they, uh, they said, well, we'd like for you to start as a regulatory and rate specialist. Um, so I had an opportunity to not only look at the regulatory side of telecom, but also work on the billing system. Mm. Um, and so that was kind of my first entry, uh, introduction, if you will, into IT. Uh, and then MS Access, Access Databases, Excel Spreadsheets. And so I started to tinker and play around with that and develop my own applications using Microsoft Access, where at the time I thought it was an application, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, and so what I found is I actually enjoyed IT when my hands were hands on, as opposed to sitting in the classroom. When I was doing hands on work, I actually understood it more and it just kind of clicked all together. Um, and so working full time and now in the telecom industry versus going to school, I kind of took an opportunity and said, okay, do I really um, need to focus on my career or do I want to focus on school? And at that point, you know, being young, young and dumb sometimes, it's like, okay, let me, let me just stick to this work thing because it's kind of fun. And I make, you know, a lot of money because I was making $32,000 a year, uh, which is so great. Uh, but at that point, so I started, decided to take a pause on school. And just from there, my career just started to flourish a little bit. Working now specifically in IT, I took an opportunity to become the billing manager. And that was my introduction into the billing system, into a DOS-based uh, billing system, which was kind of rudimentary if you think about it in today's world, but it helped me understand the nuts and bolts of IT. Mm-hmm. And as a startup organization, again, you had the opportunity to work not just on that activity, but any other projects, whether it's pulling cables, running networks, understanding how all of that worked, uh, which was great. Um, So, you know, over the years, had various opportunities, stayed in the telecom industry and IT, uh, and then uh, actually had a great boss, Paul Roberts, uh, when I was at another company, NetTel Communications, uh, we had an opportunity to build his own IT team and take him down to Houston, Texas, working for uh, Faster Energy as they started a telecom branch. Uh, So from there, while we moved from here, just recently married, and actually my wife was pregnant, um, and so at that point, we decided to move anyway. Uh, uh, it was a great opportunity. And I recall that as I was going, you know, working and then as my son was born, realizing, hey, you know what, I never finished school. And how can I tell my son he has to do school when I didn't even take, you know, the opportunity to finish? Um, so I went back into school and changed from a psychology major now to a, to a computer, inside these systems and uh, finished my degree there, um, which was great because it, I definitely wouldn't have had the opportunity I to have today without finishing that degree. But I had a little bit of a head start uh, when I finally got to classes. And I felt well, I already know what they're talking about. Made it made it a little bit easier, I have to admit. Um, but it, that's I guess my introduction, long side of the story for IT, and then just my career from there. Uh, eventually, just came back into the DC area. Uh, got an opportunity to work for Food Safety Inspection Service, as you mentioned, where we met, uh, and that's how I got into the federal government over 15 years ago. I didn't um,
0: realize that was your first uh, government job.
1: Yeah, so it was first government job, and so I actually I had a little stint with SCIC right before starting, where I worked with uh, local and state governments on law enforcement systems. Mm. So I had worked with government, but not at the federal level yet. So there was just small NCIC work with FBI and law enforcement.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So having been in government now and having been in IT now for quite some time, all right, we're both a, a little bit uh, grayer than we were when we were at food <laughs> safety. Uh, what's something that you think w- w- would be a valuable change to make? If somebody gave you the power for the day to say, hey, we need to change just how we do something in IT, what, what is it you think would be a valuable um, you know, reset for us? Uh,
1: so I'm not sure if I would call it a reset, but just rethinking of IT as being much more partners with the business and the programs, and start thinking about how we can leverage current technology, not in the traditional uh, development of applications and systems, and, and just um, you know solutions where we kind of take things. And we're still IT, and in people's mind, you know, our value comes in what we can produce, and it's like the Wizard of Oz. We have to do it behind the curtain um, and really take the opportunity to leverage some of their newer technologies. And I think from a government perspective, have to understand just because we don't physically touch it or own things like a data center, it doesn't mean we're not still needed. We are needed. Um, And I think that's some of the fear some folks have when it comes to newer platforms and technologies. Uh, There's kind of an apprehension to move forward because I don't want to adapt and use, let's say, some sort of software as a service platform because I'm a coder. Um, and I want to get away from leveraging my Java skills.
0: Mm-hmm. When
1: in reality, your skills are more of thinking about how to get to a solution as opposed to actually coding and knowing the bits and bytes. Uh, as a government organ- or entity, really our, our solutions, our goal, is to help the citizens and making sure we are doing it in a way that is as fast as industry is and in the private sector as in the public sector. Uh, sometimes we are further behind because we are we have an apprehension to take on newer technologies. Now we also have to make sure we're doing it securely. We're doing following all the regs and following all the, the uh, requirements that we need to from, uh, from all the different levels, privacy, security, um, you know, making sure the accreditation is there. So it's not about curtailing any of those, you know, needs, but it's more so how can we take those, even some of the regulations that are from 1980, and mm-hmm. making them work for us in 2020, right? Because it, sometimes we are we're hindered from either a budget process or mm-hmm. some other process that we we control ourselves more than. We give ourselves credit for we say we can't do something because our process is such and such as opposed to thinking about well okay do i need to change that process or do i have the power to modify that process and still meet the requirements and needs of not only the the users but also for the citizens and the regulations that we have to follow
0: hmm. that's so true and yeah i i i i will uh I will, I will echo your statement on the apprehension we have in the it field especially in government i think you're right there's mm-hmm. uh there's the apprehension of the change that could, you know, we say, oh, it's gonna, we're gonna no longer be needed or our skills are no longer being needed. But you and I have food safety. We did that whole data center consolidation and we didn't lose a single job, right? I mean, there was still such yeah, a necessary need for administration.
1: It, so, absolutely.
0: yeah, and, and, you know, people say the same thing about AI, right? They're all, they're all concerned. AI is gonna put me on a job. Well, no, somebody's still got to control all that stuff. Somebody's got to put it in place. Somebody's got to understand yeah. it. And then, like you said, I think craft it for the business solution. Right. It doesn't come out of the box ready to serve a business user. There's somebody who's got to be in between there.
1: Right. Right. It's, it's, it's sometimes also educating our users, right? Because sometimes they say, I want a solution to say, I have a green button today. I want it to be green tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we did every, every requirement that's given to us, we say we're going to meet 100%. And we're so busy trying to meet their needs as opposed to giving them alternatives that may be better That's right. and that may be much more efficient in processing everything, especially when you look at the technologies, when you're leveraging, uh, you know, the fact that, okay, maybe I can't make it a green button, but I can make it a blue button and I can process your, uh, your, your data more efficiently or more transparently.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. The education side for our customers as well. And in terms of understanding technology and or trusting us, right. Trusting us to provide them, the best, most efficient solution that's going to meet their requirement but in a way that also meets you know, all of our other things we got to do from an IT and from a security perspective.
1: Exactly, exactly. Because the education is critical because not, sometimes you'll, you'll get users that don't understand technologies. Other times you may get users that are consumer technology savvy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a nuanced detail, right? I'm not talking about technology savvy, I'm talking consumer technology savvy. Those are the folks that may read articles, may look at commercials, right? They understand the trends, they understand what's going on, but the nuanced details how to get there is not fully understood. So we have to help educate them, let them know, okay, this is how we can get there, but understand we still have to meet our requirements from a security, again, I just can't say it enough. So security just plays an integral role into what we do.
0: No, that's so true. So where do you see, you know, yourself, where do you see your career going? I mean, you've, you've kind of reached, in my opinion, I mean, the CIO position is, is a, is a big goal for a lot of people. Um, if they you know, go the management track, right. And, and, and leadership. Um, mm-hmm. But where do you see, where do you see yourself going in the future or where do you see, you know, federal it going into the future?
1: Well, that's a good, that's a heavy question. Right. <laughs> so let me take the second one. I, okay. I'll, I'll go with the second one. Um, so as far as government it, um, you know, I think this year has been critical, um, as far as how, I'm trying to say this in a way, doesn't sound so bad, right? But in a way, it's unfortunate that we're in this pandemic, but at the same time, it's, in, it's enabled us to showcase what we can do with IT. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what we're going to hopefully see, uh, I see is the opportunities where, you know, remote workers become more of a, a norm as opposed to where an outlier of, well, I can't hire someone and so because they're not in this area or I can't see their face every day. Uh, you know, when you talk about, I need a developer, a coder, or, you know, a security person. Well, how often do you actually need to have that person sitting right in front of you, right? In today's environment, ability to have remote workers much more there than ever before. Um, I think there's more of an appreciation for that. So I think it it will open up more doors and opportunities, not only for IT folks to get into the federal government, but also see opportunities open up for the rest of the uh, organizations and and, uh, the environment within the federal government period. Um, Because what we'll see is where, especially here in the DC area, as you know, uh, we're very heavy as far as, hey, we gotta have somebody in the office so they can meet so-and-so uh, and now having a virtual meeting, as we're having right through video conferencing, it's much more important. And if uh, you know, two years ago, three years ago, us doing a video conference might happen when we do it at home, but right. in the office, it wasn't necessarily something that people were thinking about, unless they would do a big, big room and have okay, this is a specialized conference room. <laughs> but to have a you know your own private sessions was not really something. People thought about, and I think now it's much more there. And the you know the the emergence of video technology and other things like that again goes to bandwidth. Um, so the needs of IT are just going to continue to grow uh, with 5G also getting there. So now you can get that in remote areas more so than what you can get today. And earlier we were talking about you know this pandemic. You find out people have at home or may not have it at home. Um, so as technology continues to evolve and folks are less uh, burdened by having technology in their homes, I, I would see the opportunities within government uh, IT also continue to grow as well. So remote offices become more of a norm. Um, I think centralization of people, um, whether in the D.C. area or you know, outside of the D.C. area, is not going to be as prevalent or as required as it has been in the past.
0: Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah. I, I know like for my agency, we recently uh, awarded a contract within the last year for our operations and service desk. And for the first time ever, we, you know, we did it in a way where it's a shared desk, but it's not even in the DC area. It's, you know, Blacksburg, Virginia or whatnot. And it, it reduced our costs uh, by, by a lot. So yeah, there's an opportunity. I think there's a cost opportunity there for federal IT.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and for citizens in general, right? Because now we can actually extend our capabilities out to folks at rural areas that need these type of jobs, right? So those, you know, those demands aren't going to be just in the urban areas. It's going to be provide for all the citizens to be able to be involved.
0: That's a great idea. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything else you want to share while we're, we're here today before we end?
1: I, no, Jerry, this is, this is pretty cool. I, I appreciate you reaching out and Give me the opportunity to kind of share a little bit of my story. Um, you know, it's this, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I didn't think of myself ever being in a CIO position. That's not just something I thought about. Um, but to be in this type of opportunity today and over the last few years, having been at USDA as the deputy CIO, um, it's been great. And so I definitely would encourage folks um, to look at IT as, as a potential career because it's not just about the bits and bytes anymore. It's also understanding project management. It's about understanding what how, what the user experiences are. So artists are very much needed as well as those, you know, us geeks that be behind the keyboard.
0: That's a good point. Well, thank you again, Francisco. I look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, Jeremy.